Hey gang, welcome to episode 17 of the No Persinium podcast, your podcast about immersive and interactive theater and its ilk. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, also the crazy founder of the No Persinium newsletter, which I know, um, I think most of you subscribe to. So, hey, hi guys. Uh, this, this week's episode, uh, is very special. Uh, not as special as last week's episode, but it's the episode that makes sense of last week's episode. And we'll get all into all of that in a second here, but I've got you on the hook and I'm not going to let you go quite yet. Okay. Uh, maybe I'm having too much fun, but, uh, I get to have fun. All right. Uh, there's, there's some news, uh, that are from around the country and I want to kind of, uh, blast through that before we get into the setup for this episode. So let's do that. Uh, starting out in New York city where Zay Amsbury holds down the no pro NYC, uh, empire travel agency, the latest from the woodshed collective is currently running. Got a little bit of a good news, bad news situation there. The good news is they're doing it. Um, the bad news is, uh, it's, uh, sold out already. Um, but the good news, oh, more than more, more good news is, uh, that they're looking to try and open up some more slots and they've told us to keep an eye on their Facebook page. I imagine their Twitter page might also work as well. Uh, you can go to the No Persinium Twitter and find links there. Uh, we will toss that up on the No Persinium Facebook as well. I will make a mental note to do that. So if that's your native, uh, social media, you should be able to find it there. And, uh, I highly encourage you to check it out. Woodshed Collective are some of the pioneers in the immersive space in this whole open frame theater universe. And uh, frankly, I'm jealous of everyone in New York who uh, gets to go see the show, which means, you know, I, I, I'm breathing and I, you know, my heart's beating because I'm always jealous of people in New York who get to go see these shows. Baltimore. Let's move down to Baltimore. The, mer- the mesmeric revelations exclamation point of Edgar Allan Poe had a sold out run in the spring and it's coming back for what they hope to be a longer run this October. So if you heard about that show and you're curious about it and you're somewhere near Baltimore or you're in Baltimore, which would be awesome if someone in Baltimore is listening to the show right now, uh, you should go check that out. Uh, sounds like some good people are doing some interesting work out there, and that is what we're always looking for. Uh, Florida, Orlando, uh, the, the Republic is over, but we just published uh, the written version of Cindy Marie Jenkins' review from the Open Forum a little while ago. As you remember, she wasn't uh, she wasn't a fan, but there's some interesting stuff in there for anyone who is marketing a show uh, when the marketing may impact the experience of the show. And in this space where everything you encounter is part of the design, um, you, you just need to be aware of that. So there's some lessons to be taken away in Cindy's piece. It's up at the No Persinium Medium Collection. Let's go to the West Coast. Let's start up in San Francisco. Uh, where we players are doing Hero Monster in October. Uh, but before they do that show, based on Beowulf, uh, in, in the final form, they're doing a living room tour in September. So there's a couple of forms that the monster is going to take. Uh, Grendel is coming. And uh, that should be a lot of fun for you guys there. Uh, also in September in San Francisco, come out and play 
is happening. That's a big game event, like real life, live action, interactive games, Jericho, all that kind of stuff is going to be there. That's the 13th through the 19th in SF. There'll be links everywhere uh, on the various no pros for that. Um, there's, there's another production. I'm going to go up to Seattle for a second of uh, American Idiot that uh, says it has got something for both the observational and the immersive crowd. Uh, I'm going to be doing a little little uh, Q&A, email Q&A with uh, the creators up there um, in that company. And uh, that will go up on the Medium Collection as well. I'm really curious about that because, of course, I saw an American Idiot down here that said it was immersive and was kind of theater in the roundish, sort of. Um, and we know how I feel about that sort of stuff. Moving on. Um, we're here in LA. I'm talking about LA for a second. Uh, I'm talking to you from, uh, Los Feliz and Thai town at the very table where last week's infamous episode took place. Uh, but what I want to talk to you about right now is something that Abel mentioned a couple of episodes and that's delusion. They have announced that they've got their, uh, year round space and they're developing it. Good news, bad news again. Uh, the good news is they got that space. The bad news, there's going to be no fall show for Delusion because they need to set up the year-round experience. That leaves a hole in the schedule for those of you who are looking for haunts this October. I would not worry too much. There are a lot of haunts in Los Angeles and a lot of theatrical ones, and I know that the alone people have got something up their sleeve to get into your head. Um going to shoot down the coast for a second. Wow Festival is coming up at the top of October. I am ecstatic about that. And hopefully we'll have some more details coming out of uh, the La Jolla Playhouse and the festival. The, the press kit's out and about so you can find out what the shows are. Uh, we're just waiting on uh, ticket information at this point. Back up to LA for a quick second. Uh, I saw a show the other night. Uh, I got invited by uh, the ladies at Cherry Poppins Knock Shop which was part of the Hollywood Fringe this year. Uh, it's what they call a caberlesque show. That's caberlet, <laughs> caberlet, cabaret and burlesque. Uh, neologisms. They always trip me up. Uh, that is a fun show. That's a really fun show. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit on whether or not to put it in the newsletter. I think I'm going to put it in the newsletter under the tag participatory uh, because audience members do get plucked out. Um, it's, it's not immersive in the sense of the kind of work that, you know, third rail or speakeasy or this is wilderness does, but it is interactive and it is engaging and, uh, it's, it's got a drinking game component to it. So, you know, we already feature stuff in the newsletter that is sort of on that end of the spectrum, which is, which is, I think in this conversation as valid of a data point if you will, as site-specific work or the, the, the fully immersive stuff. I often think of this open-frame entertainment space as um, sort of a, a, a spider web, a spider web of Venn diagrams that uh, all overlap to be that, you know, platonic immersive ideal. And this kind of work, I feel, is definitely part of the conversation because uh, it is not the same without an audience, uh, and it definitely it doesn't blur the lines of reality so much, but it does ask a fair amount out of you. Um, and it's fun. So even if I don't want to put it in the newsletter, you should check it out. It's a fun show. 
Uh, and that's what the podcast space is also for. That's what this space is for. Oh, this part's going long. One more thing before we get to the proper introduction. I do apologize. I don't want to Mark Marin this thing or anything like that. I'm not going to do that to you. What I am going to do is I'm going to thank two of our podcast supporters on Patreon. Because everyone always thanks their supporters at the beginning of uh, podcasts. And I always save it to the end. And then I realize that no one listens to the end. So here I'm going to do. Uh, the two latest are uh, Jamie Tanner and Emmett Fury. Uh, thank you both for becoming supporters of the podcast. Uh, we offset the costs of doing that. That's this microphone that sounds so good. And that's the very hosting of the show uh, through a Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium. Uh, $1 a month is all I'm asking from anyone uh, there's there's more if you want to give more there's like other rewards um, we we do offset the costs of the show this way so if you're giving more than a dollar a month you know don't don't cut your funding or anything that's not good uh, but uh, we, we offset some of the costs I think I've said that four times now I'm not going to say it again and the next goal that we are going to have uh, if we can um, get up high enough is I'm gonna I'm gonna get Zay a really good microphone so then he'll have no excuses when it comes to recording a show in New York. And then I get to sit back every few weeks and listen to a new one from Zay. All right. Now, I've had you on the hook way too long. Um, yes, last week's episode of the podcast was in character. Um, that was the cast of Hamlet Mobile, which is produced by Capital W., uh, in character as their members of the moving shadow. The reality blurring line is that everyone goes by their real first name. Uh, so you heard uh, Heather Ann Gottlieb and Lizzie Prestel and Hunter Seagroves and J.B. Waterman, whose names I just read off a list and probably mispronounced someone's name because I suck. Um, you heard them as their characters, Hunter and Lizzie and, and Heather and James. Uh, that was not them. Uh, I think a couple of you think that was actually them, uh, which I'm totally charmed by. I was worried that I was giving away too much by making all those Banksy references at the start. Like I thought I was like, I was winking at the camera. And then I remember this is a podcast. There's no camera. You couldn't see me wink. Um, I was a little bit in character. Uh, you noticed that I was probably a better interviewer than I usually am because I was confronting people with stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about changing my style a little bit, but I didn't change my style for this episode. Uh, what you're about to hear is the continuation of that conversation that happened just, you know, like about a minute and a half after we stopped down the last one. Uh, adding in are the ladies of Capital W. That's Lauren Ludwig, who uh, directed and wrote the show, and Monica Miklas, who is the producer. Um, I do a little more introduction about them in a second here. And right now, um, enjoy it. There were valuable lessons in the last episode as well, and we just keep rolling in this one. Uh, Hamlet Mobile remains one of my favorite things I've seen in L.A. ever, period, end of story. And uh, I'm just glad you guys went along for the ride on that one and hopefully didn't lose a whole bunch of podcast listeners. Okay, this is officially the longest intro ever. Let's listen to the actual show. Is that going? Okay. Is it is it in sync and are we are, we're all on board now? So and we don't have to be uh, in character oh, anymore. Turn yourselves. No. Oh. Be yourselves. Shouting <laughs> <laughs> no, you. Yeah. Okay. Be there we yourselves. go. We can. Yes. Everyone, give me themselves. Uh, this is part two of the Hammermobile. I'm here with um, capital W. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I got capital it. W. I keep on messing up the letter. 
Uh, it's W for women. For women. Two women running. Oh, that can be our. Yeah. Yeah, that's a heads up. Uh, the voices uh, the, the, around the table right now, uh, we've got everyone from last episode, uh, the Moving Shadow, I put air quotes, uh, episode, uh, which means we've got Hunter and Heather Ann and Lizzie and James. And also joining are the masterminds. Uh, we've got Monica Miklas. Hello. And Lauren Littlewig. Hello. Who I've known for a few years now. Uh, some of the creative, creative sparks in the engines that keep the Lost Moon Radio going uh, for those fringe fans. Uh, First, thank you guys. This is just seconds after we, we did the last episode, but this will be like the next week for for the listeners. So I wanted to get to be good sports and coming in character. That was the first time we've done an in-character episode of the podcast. I can so. tell they're all still half in character. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying to shake it out. Yeah. They're trying to shake it out. <laughs> and the funny thing for me is like, I'm sitting here going... Um, because some of the answers you were giving Heather Ann, I was like, oh yeah, this is the kind of stuff we get into in like the actual like post-mortem type, like break it down. Like, well, so what's it like working with the, uh, the, the audience members in this? And so all, right. all the, there's still the material there, but, but getting to see the sparks between the characters fly. So, yeah, fun. Um, we've had an episode about Hamilton before in the past, and so I hope everyone, and people on the podcast listen to me rant about it all the time, but to revisit some of what we talked about before, and now that, now that the troops here, um, Let's get nerdy. Let's some of the process. Like, how'd you guys build this thing? Because the fact that you know, weeks later, the troop can show up and do this routine in character, and that was all improvised. Like, you guys, you guys seriously cracked into something here. Yeah. Um, well, we, um, Monica and I, have been talking about doing something Shakespeare-related, something site-specific, uh, something that had an immersive component. Um, and that had kind of combined to this idea of doing Hamlet in a van. Um, and then we began a pretty intensive casting process um, where some people here I'd worked before, just JB mostly, and Hunter a little bit, and in very different contexts. Um, and then we had auditions and found Heather and Lizzie. Um, and then we began about three weeks of ensemble building and group devising. Um, and we can, and also table work on Hamlet. So one part of the rehearsal would be work Hamlet as if we're doing normal, you know, RSC production. One through line was send them away to use viewpoints work um, and other sort of composition techniques to sort of compose movement pieces and pieces inspired by Hamlet, different moments in Hamlet. Another thing we did was a lot of writing exercises where they, they wrote to their own personal experiences or their characters' experiences. Um, and got text that I could then take later and craft. And then a bunch of other stuff was just getting them listening to each other, getting them responding to each other, all the normal stuff you want to do with a new ensemble. Because this group is not a pre-existing ensemble. So that, that takes more time, um, even if everybody's totally game, which everybody here was. Um, so that was a real joy. And then at the end of that, there was a pile of text, um, pile of sort of composed pieces. And then I went away and I uh, wrote these eight short plays based on what we had done together. Wait, can I butt in? Lauren said something when we were first starting work. She's like, the way I like to work is I want to get as much information and stuff, material as possible. I want to just overload with material. And then I get to a point where I fill up and then I can very quickly and very easily make a lot of cuts and make decisions and know exactly what I'm going to do. So the first couple of weeks was just like, all of us were just like, throwing out ideas about different scenes we could do, different ways we could interpret, like the ghost scene or the mother and Hamlet scene or all these different ways we could do stuff. I mean, I had one idea where there was going to be two vans and yes. Hamlet was going to be doing, like, 
a, a monologue or to be or yes. not to be in one van and then like outside then there's this other van and another Hamlet was going to pull up and do that same speech and be like this oh my god there's another version of me in the world <laughs> <laughs> right that was one I mean that was an example of like one more idea to like shovel in to Lauren so that she could have it and then she could then she went away and just like sliced it all down and came back with like what she wanted to finish with yeah I work best in response to stuff I like collaging I yeah. like working I, I this is so weird but like from childhood I've collaged things that's like how I see story in a lot of ways um, and so this piece was a unique opportunity to, to take that to a real extreme with a piece I love which is Hamlet so that's how we tried to work had any of you worked in this sort of like up close and personal way and this is something I haven't got a chance to talk to a lot of actors who've done immersive work yet so you're sort of my first guinea pigs in that and and I, this is the part of the the world that maybe I understand both the most and the least because like you know I've got a useless theater degree sitting in my bedroom right now and you know I did I did shows and I've been a dork who's like LARPed and nonsense like that and and having gone to some of these shows like you can feel as an audience member, like you're in a scene with someone. So like I've got that rubric in my head, like I can I can decode it that way. But I'm totally fascinated as to what it's like on your guys' side of the the, the non-existent proscenium. Had this been something you guys had worked with in before? Does it remind you of any other kind of work that you've done? Are you talking about the preparation part, or are you talking about being an actor in an immersive theater experience? I think I think for this one, talking about the the actual conducting of it but the performance because I think I think for those of us who, who know theater like hear about viewpoints and, and some of the devised work stuff like there's there's familiarity there we could probably dig into that uh, how specifically this one uh, but in, in this case yeah I'm really like in the moment like had you done that kind of stuff before anyone... I, I've been a part uh, I've been in LA for five years and my second year out here uh, I had done uh, an immersive theater piece uh, downtown uh, in like the like kind of Skid Row area, kind of sketch, but it was in this warehouse, and a buddy of mine who was a director from school uh, put up a show where there were like several different chambers through which the audience member went, and you know had sort of like isolated experiences uh, in each room, which was cool. But I also remember like. <clears throat> I remember questioning, you know, in typical self-conscious actor fashion, like the efficacy of the performance because it never goes the way you might want or expect. And I think that in my experience of doing Hamlet Mobile, the times that were that seemed to be most effective was there was always that there's always kind of that moment at the start of the piece where you, as the actor, kind of have to, like, take a second and be like, where is this audience member? Like, what headspace are they in right now? What vibe are they bringing in? And then how does that inform how I go about getting what I want from them? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and it's nice and it's great as, like, an acting exercise and lesson because it's, you know, instead of, you know, learning your lines and talking at somebody, you're getting into a groove and this and that. It's like, okay, no, for real. Like, if you're not, like, trying to, like, check in with the person across from you and see what's happening, like, the, the, the potency of the piece is just blown. Mm -hmm. 
And so, and that was a huge part of uh, the the prep work that Lauren had us do too. Uh, and you know, it always made she she would all we you know it was imperative that like uh, we take those ten to fifteen minutes before every show and do some sort of repetition work or some sort of listening exercise or something like that to get us connected with one another to get the attention outward and um, yeah that's it was hard too I mean I, I had I did stuff in the van and then I had another monologue soliloquy outside the van to the audience like um, uh, and it was hard I, to, to connect with all the people standing on the street. And we tried different things and we talked about it and I was going to like touch them, but that felt almost more traditionally theatrical and it was like a challenge to try to go in between. But at the end, I was actually walking amongst them mm. doing the piece and that felt much more comfortable and almost like turned them into the van. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny that you felt most comfortable being like, there's got to be a van somewhere. I never thought that. Around me. <laughs> that was like, no, 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 we're in the van together. And that felt better. And also, I, another thing that I liked about it was, um, and by it, I mean the preparation, development of the piece, and then the execution of it, was I, I don't feel comfortable speaking for the other folks at the table, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Unlike when you were in character. Unlike when I'm in character. Unlike when I'm in character. But I think that there's, I've always kind of associated a kind of like sexiness with not preparing in Hollywood. Like I, in, in, Holly, in Hollywood, there's this kind of idea, it's just like you get some sides, whatever, it's like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Um, it's like it's just stand there and speak the truth. Just, 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 like, just like, like, just like I got rehearsals this. for fags. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god. No. That's another reason. To yeah, he said that, him. and then got quoted on it and really screwed him up. Um, <laughs> but no, there is this kind of like sense of this, like you know, it's like oh man, I'm like so like fucking natural and, and this like whatever, man, just like put a camera. Whatever you do, don't over rehearse that. I got this. It's like, yeah, man, I just don't want to be overprepared. Like, I just want to feel what I'm feeling in the moment. There's like, there's that bullshit kind of sexiness and like, you know, you like roll to auditions for stuff and there's like that always that like asshole who just like slinks in and it's just like, what bro, you got this, you know? And, and, but I liked, I, I liked the reinforcement of the idea with Hamlet Mobile that like, you can't, you can't shortcut it. Like, if you want something to be good, if you're like, if you want it to taste good, it can't be all frosting. There needs to be some fucking cake underneath, too. <laughs> Love that metaphor. I had two pieces of cake today, by the way. I feel like, Lizzie, I feel like you talked, you would come out of the van after doing your piece, your solo monologue, To Be or Not To Be, and just be in such a range of emotional states. Yeah, I re that was so. I've never done immersive theater before. I thought it was it was very um, scary for me, but um, in a really cool way. I mean, scary in a good way, exciting. Not scary in the, like that you thought that someone was going to do something. Like... Not that someone, no, not like scared for my physical safety. <laughs> right. <laughs> but definitely scared that someone was going to do something. Yeah, like, but, but I don't know what. Like scared that they would ask me a question that I wouldn't know the answer to. Oh. 
or um <laughs> well, or people like, did or that do your the to be or yeah. not yeah, to that be that would happen. with you yeah. yeah people ask me a lot of questions <laughs> yeah. uh yeah um uh i love doing my piece with you by the way but um anyway uh yeah so right and so um i you know what i weirdly just thought of for the first time while we were just talking about this was that um there's something about it that i um is actually very similar to auditioning in the room because there's a lot of projecting that you have to do on the reader in the room during an audition because they're giving you fucking nothing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally and so that's not their fault though they're not supposed that's not their job yeah so like one of the few things that can make auditioning fun is if you're like is if you have this whole relationship with the person then like everything they do and they like like you know, smooth down their eyebrow and you're like, you fucking dick. You smooth down your eyebrow that way and, like, I'm going to crush you with this monologue. Or, like, whoever you're reading with, just being like, I'm going to make you fall in love with me. Like, I don't care if you want to or not and if you are married to someone else, happily. Like, you you just Mm. go in there. (laughs) You just have to, like, do a bunch of stuff in your own mind and with that person to endow the relationship with a lot of things that aren't necessarily there on their end because yeah. that's not really their job. Um, which is so, uh, such a weird comparison to make because auditioning is so like not. But it makes it makes a, it makes real sort of sense to me and, and when I try and talk about this stuff with people who, who haven't even experienced it, right? I mean like it, it's still such a small number of people, even you count the people who make pilgrimage to sleep no more and all the tourists that go through there. Like people, don't understand what this form is enough that people are always calling something immersive and it's like not even remotely there's there's <laughs> there's no agency given over to the audience whatsoever and it, that drives me nuts and so when i'm trying to explain to people like what the, the acting is i say well you take a little bit of theater and that like ability of a, of a theater actor to like be fully you know down to their last you know joint in their finger be present and then you take the close-up of film mm-hmm. And you're balancing between those two things. It's like you, the actor in an immersive can't just act with their head, but they have to hold the energy in at about that level because you're as close as a camera is going to be to you. Yeah. And that you, that you would jump to the audition and to the reader and to like the blank slate that a reader is. Like, it just makes sense to me. Yeah. But yeah, like going back to what Lauren was saying, it was, um, I felt like people just bring a lot of, stuff when you're looking when you're so intensively focused on something that's as intense as like a hamlet soliloquy then people come into the van and they just think that they're like pretty neutral because they just like were told to go sit in the van and they're there with like their boyfriend and they're trying to relax and and watch a show been sitting outside on the sidewalk and waiting casual there's all these people around they're going from this very public space (laughs) So they probably think that they're not giving a lot off, but actually, they I felt like every person had a completely different story that they were communicating. And you felt connected to people at the end of your show, eyes. didn't you? Yeah. And you I see, felt that way. and you see them have an experience, and like, you know, to what in in reaction to what you're saying, you see like their experience kind of unfold. Yes. I felt like yeah. I, we were both having experience. At the end of the piece I did with Heather. I mean, you leave, but then I say to them, "I'm sorry you had to see that." And there's this there was looks on people's faces that they were there were tears in their eyes. They they'd gone through all of this relationship 
business of their from their own life through the piece and we we both had I mean as an actor I'd done the same thing I mean and we'd had this intimacy that was like incredible and then the piece was over and they left <laughs> and you were like bye yeah but that was like part of the pain and glory of it <laughs> it was cool <laughs> well something that you guys are bringing up just something about the way JB just said it and part of the reason you guys are all I think so particularly good at this form is that I don't think I think particularly actors can't phone it in and know you were just speaking to that it's like they can't it can't be up here it can't just be in the head like you're saying I think particularly in the immersive work if if JB is not going through the full physical sensations of the breakup in his body every time whatever the truthful version is every time and it is going to be different every time oh, and same with Heather yeah, yeah and Heather exactly yeah yeah but exactly it's like if you guys are not both going through it there is no space for you guys to hide just like there's yeah. no space for the audience to hide and if anything maybe that's the contract between audience and actor in an immersive piece is we all agree not to hide for this period of time <laughs> which right? sounds like Marlon that's what was so mucky about everyone speak, can speak to this like over and over it felt like Marlon was real that's true stuff like he that like Marlon would say something and you go that's what Marlon would say it's <laughs> <laughs> a great compliment that's very sweet since he's this, he's this fake like mythic genius in my brain it's like if I just say something kind of nonsensically like a fortune cookie I think I'm speaking like Marlon Pine basically yeah yeah Marlon Pine R.I.P. Marlon Pine well and, and, and why so, so, so this is the big thing for the piece is that you have this meta mythology going on so and you have this 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 layering where there's Hamlet and then there's the moving shadow which is which is operating and some of the pieces some of the pieces feel fully like, oh, this is the piece that the moving shadow does of Hamlet. And then other pieces are like, oh, this is this weird breakdown. This is, I'm watching the moving shadow uh, have like a moment and Hamlet's leaking through mm. all the way up to Orgy and F Fire and Blood where it's like, this is just the moving shadow. Right. So, I mean, w were you guys, were you writing it yeah. when, you, when it came time to like collate the material and do the collage? And with you guys, when you're performing it, can't listen to the feedback anymore. Uh, were you conscious of those layers, or did it finally just come with the bleed? Heather and it's nodding her head. Well, yeah. When in rehearsal process, there were a lot of times where we were like, "Lauren, is this us, or is this, <laughs> is this Hamlet? Like, where are we?" And then, um, and then there were times where she's like, "Yeah, this is you, but this is Hamlet, but this is you know you and Hamlet." <laughs> like, Marlon says this. She was very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, the beauty of it is it a lot of the time it doesn't matter in what world it lives mm -hmm. because it makes sense in both and the beauty of it is that the ambiguity. Yeah. Well, and it's of course it's a little bit of a, a trick to be like, well, okay, so I've got these actors and we knew from the beginning that we knew I knew lately Monica and I definitely talked about traveling theater companies and the play within the play as being interesting when you put Hamlet in a van? Does it start to feel like it is the play within the play? The players that are traveling. Yeah. yeah. Is it that? Are those people? So that was already on the table. And then at some point in the development process, there was a big epiphany. I just, I love meta construction stuff. I, I love like things within things within things. I love that. I love things bleeding into each other and breaking down. So at some point in the development process, in a rehearsal, somebody had the idea or we had a couple ideas that came together into the aha moment of, oh, they, they, everybody has to be mourning a real loss. All the actors have to be mourning an actual loss of their version of King Hamlet. And that came out of already knowing that grief was our way in the play, into mm. the play. 
And that's a bit of a sleight of hand trick because it's like when I cast these these actors, I didn't know which way into Hamlet we were going to take. And then in the room together, we realized that we had a sort of a Venn diagram overlap with the idea of grief or grieving, that that was a space we could all connect with each other and the play. And then it felt like, well, how do you bring that out in these little collages? It's going to feel trite. How do you, in a 10-minute piece, get into the idea of grief? And so we were like, well, what if we connect the collages with something that gives us weight across right. the whole piece? Mm-hmm. And that's how we got to the idea of everybody grieving a, a big master guy. So Dead Founder came up in the yeah. rehearsal? Yeah, you oh, were wow. at that rehearsal. Wow. <laughs> it was you and JB. And I started jumping up and down, being like, yes, oh, yes, their artistic director's dead, of course. I don't think you guys maybe totally understood the full extent of what I was thinking in that moment, but, but yeah. It just feels well, now there was like a it, lot of big ideas that were coming up it's all true. the time. I know. That's a rehearsal of me. It's like, it's like a lot of excitement, but and grief, then it all goes away. And like, but I wanted to say, like, Lauren also isn't talking just about grieving of someone dying, but also grieving, like, the loss of a relationship. Yeah. Like, we all did improv, improvs of, of, like, we had to do... Elizabeth and I both had to do improvs of like the last time a relationship ended and like mm. the breakup conversation and like doing yeah. that, which was really uncomfortable. But it was, <laughs> it was all about the same idea of what it's like to lose something. Yeah, well, Monica said one of my favorite things anybody's ever said about Hamlet, which is like really early on, right when we were first talking about doing it, she was like, I think Hamlet is the story of a family falling apart. Yeah. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. This family disintegrating. We saw in an, in an audition, we... Lauren had them do an exercise where everyone had to use things that she found in her car to build some sort of an improvised piece using dialogue and different things. And somebody was playing catch. And that's when that came to me. It was just like, it's this disintegration of Hamlet's whole childhood and everything he knew. And it's just all crumbling and he's mourning it and felt so personal it felt you have to i think you have to take shakespeare out of the stratosphere the language does the stratosphere work for you you have to be like how why would any normal human ever feel this way and that's what i liked about the way you said it i was like oh right family we all understand that but that part that's amazing because i remember that audition like there yeah. lauren had like a a, a a mitt and a baseball that came out of her car along with like electrical tape and a bunch hey of guys, stuff. my car's a mess. I get it. That's not really <laughs> But yeah, like we had to like act out like the ghost scene or something with this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one of the guys said that, and it, it yeah, like there's the serendipity of having this image all of a sudden come up that perfectly encapsulated what Monica was yeah. saying. Yeah, and kind of the meaning of a ghost and like what that. Yeah, yeah, it feels present day. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing I think you're fighting for is like, how do I make it feel present? How does Shakespeare feel present? A lot of the process felt that way of like serendipitous, all this stuff. Lauren making us do all this crap. Sorry, I'm crap. No, no, yeah, it was crap. Doing all these improvs and all this stuff. Do you guys agree that like all of a sudden little things would come up that Mm -hmm. ended up in the show? Yeah. Well, that was the best part, I think, about reading the script. Like, oh my God, I said that that one time last Thursday. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that device work always feels that way. You're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that guy, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the cat. (laughs) The cat is such a good story. It's a great story. Um, This was the very last night of Hamlet-Mobile, the extension at Bootleg Theater, and the scene was breakup sex with JB and I, and Monica was there, Mm -hmm. and um, we had a step-in SM, and there was this cat who was just in the, you know, parking lot next door and was just crying and screaming at the top of its lungs. And I was like, come here, kitty. 
And I was like, okay. And it followed us into the bootleg parking lot. And then JB was like, oh, it's so skinny. I'm going to go buy cat food. So he bought two cans of cat food. The cat ate both cans <laughs> when really, you know, a serving is like a spoonful. All right. And, and then around this time, we started calling him Fort Frost. Monica. Monica named him. Is that right? Did I? Yeah, because yeah. I was like, oh, let's name him Horatio. Let's name him something else. And you're like, how about Fortinbras? Because Fortinbras is Survivor. Yeah, and we're yeah, the only one that survived. Oh, that's good. Is it But you're guest. Tell the punchline of the story. This is the best part. So we were, you know, the cat became in love with us. And the scene is very, it's about, you know, the end of a relationship. And I would say, okay, bye, kitty. And I would, you know, open the door. And would be like, oh, come in. And we, you know, have our scene and go into this tiny van with the two audience members just, like, drinking in the moment. And then the cat we'd would... We'd both be crying. We'd both be crying. And the cat would jump up, go up to the door. <laughs> and meow, like, screaming through the door. While we're, like, crying and breaking up and kissing each other. And, and, and the audience members are just like... And then didn't you mess up? Oh, yeah. Okay. But then... This is the best. So real quick, oh. it was... I get... I'm sitting up, like, on the street waiting for more people to come to check them in. And I get a text message from the stage manager that says, Fortinbras just jumped into the van. <laughs> the stage manager sits in the front in the front passenger seat. And yeah, Fortinbras jumped through an open window into the cab <gasps> of the van. Through a window? And yeah. landed land on the computer. Hopped on the computer and set off a sound cue. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. On the last night of Hamlet-Mobile, we were truly... Invaded by Fortinbras. Yay! <laughs> and then the SM had to literally hold the cat yeah. in the van for like an hour and a half yeah. to stop him from meowing, to stop him from ruining it. Oh, and the yeah. our lap for like the rest and then at the weird. end, it's we all weird. like hung out and drank beer, and Fortinbras came in the van with us. Oh I, yeah, he came in. I was doing the scene, and that sound cue screwed up, and I was oh. like, oh well, she just blew that cue. That's it's, her, <laughs> it's her first night. That's fine. And I'm like doing my monologue, and and later I learned that no, Fortinbras <laughs> invaded my scene. Like, and as oh, Hamlet, I was like, well, someone's interrupting me, and it was <laughs> again more, more meta theater, just like at the end of actual Hamlet. Were there any other times when it when it threatened to go off the rails, or was there any? It's such a, it's got just a weird thing when it's just like you and another, you and a, and a audience member, you know, like Lizzie talked about like the, the energy that you'd get off people would be different. Did anyone else have like, oh, Lauren. Are you going to well, that time when you forgot to let the audience member out? <laughs> yes. yes. One time I, okay, so the actors don't believe this, but I stand by this. Sometimes the lengths of the pieces were crazily different. Not really. Partially, no. Totally. You don't 100% know. true. Thank you, you Monica. Don't you don't know because you were acting. I only said it to make him mad. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Um, I feel like Noah asked this question to kind of like in, like be a little incendiary. Like he was in the last interview too. When well, we were on the last question. I know. Um, oh my god, I love it. Okay, well anyway, basically, I, I forgot to let an audience member out. Basically, I this this, this the piece the piece here's the, the true thing is the piece had shrunk by about a minute. And I hadn't quite realized it yet. What was um, this? To be and or not to be it was to be or not to be. And then, additionally, I got distracted. It was both truly a combo. And so I start walking back, and then suddenly I see that, like, I see my visual cue that, like, the piece is definitely way over. And so I start sprinting towards the van. And when I open the back door, the audience member was like very sweetly, like, looking at everything on the shelves and just like really immersed and so happy to be touching all the objects. And then I was kind of like, oh. Maybe I should have, like that should be how it ends. Is you're just alone for a minute and it feels great. So 
So it ended up, of course, being fine. But and then I woke up because I was like, Lauren's definitely not coming. <laughs> yeah, but then yeah, I was starting to strategize that. ways to cue them to leave the van. Yeah, yeah. really, yeah. That was not great. That was the worst thing it turned I out, It turned out it was great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. What did you do, Lizzie? You just stared at them? and I was gone. I leave them. Yeah. It was my Lauren's job to uh, oh, tell them that they are finished. Yeah. Lizzie had some audience members say some pretty interesting things to her when she was Gertrude, too. You had that one woman who I always quote. It's one of my favorite Hamilton Bill quotes. She said, she oh, asked Oh, the thing you, about the snake? Yeah, tell the story. It's so good. She oh, kept... She kept it was great. so funny. Some people were like... Uh, I'd be like, you know, as Gertrude talking about how um, Hamlet was mad at me, and they'd just be like, well, maybe because um, his uncle killed his dad, and now you're married to him. Like, they would just, like, say the whole play to me. <laughs> yeah. But this one time, this woman, she, it was kind of like she was trying to hint at it, not to mix me up, but to help Gertrude make the right choice, which was to, you know, like breaking be on into Hamlet. You easily. Yes. Like, well done. So she kept saying, yeah. So Maybe. I kept saying, talking, so I, she was kept asking me about Claudius and my deceased husband, and, and she was like, how did he die? And I was like, well, he was bitten by a snake in the garden, and she was like, and who do you think that snake was? <laughs> <laughs> Such a good quote. She was amazing. great. That's she was wonderful. That's one of the weird things I, I remember, um, the Speakeasy Society, uh, who's another one of the immersive troops in town, they, they have a piece called Ebenezer, and it's based off a Christmas carol. And I was, and the way that piece specifically works is like it, everything repeats three times, mm. kind of using that kind of construction so you can catch different things. Mm. And one of the times I was down in the room during like the third repetition of the first thing, and, and like a woman was like, just like, telling Scrooge like the whole plot line as he was like going yeah because you know it's you you're the one you're the one who's dead right you're you're, you're already dead Scrooge this is you know you're the one you're gonna find out you're dead soon and I'm sitting there going like oh my god and I kind of like raise my hand and be like excuse me ma'am but we all know this story right you're, you're not no one here doesn't know like why are you telling it and this is, and this is, that's the thing, though, is like how how much agency, you know, the the audience winds up having, and like you know, you you give them, you give them the the, the injunctions you give them, right? The questions you ask tend to inform the the level of interaction you wind up getting. It's true. Uh, there is a bit of a range in Hamiltonville. There are some things when you're truly an audience member, uh, almost back in the normal traditional proscenium sense, with some of our street theater shows. And then there are ones where the narrative wouldn't progress if you didn't affirm and say yes to certain things, but only lightly. I would say that on the immersive spectrum, we kept this on the, I would say, mid to lower range in terms of audience being necessary for story to progress. But, I, but our hope was to create a vibe from the moment you arrived to the moment I gave instructions when you went in the van to the moment you went in with the actors. I was hoping that there would be a space for the more verbal audience members to feel very welcome to speak. Mm. And I think by and large we found that was the case. Um, people were verbally responsive, but I also wanted audience members who were a little more quiet to feel comfortable not speaking. Yeah. And I yeah. think that then became sort of an interesting takeaway for a lot of audience members too. Like yeah. I had a lot of conversations with people who maybe don't go to as much theater, and I found that those people felt tended to feel less inclined to speak. Yes. Because mm. it's more, this is a um, medium that's somewhat foreign to me and I need to follow its rules and yes. the rules are I don't talk and I watch but then afterward they would say to me at the the box office which was 
a chair on the sidewalk. Uh, <laughs> like, I wanted to say something, but I didn't know if I should. And then I'd try to ask them, like, what, what did you want to say? Like, so that they could continue to think about it and be engaging with it and processing it, even if they didn't take the chance to talk about it. I like that you were like the study guide at the end of my textbook chapter in high school. Like the study questions. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well I think it's a real new territory for me personally. uh, Figuring out the way to word the instructions to invite participation without in any way dictating participation. That's like a weird thing that I think only immersive theater deals with. Like what are the instructions when you send someone in? It's really interesting. And not to scare people. Yeah. 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 Some people got scared. That's fine. The ghost was the ghost was pretty pretty effective. That was that was weird. And also (laughs) it was like the only thing inside the van that had all of you. So it was like it was like dark, cramped, hot, Hot. and and weird. It was so weird. And and I felt like that was the piece that was one of the most this is the company doing the work. You know? Yeah. And it was and it was fairly passive. It was like you sit there, but even then, because you're you're just kind of crammed in there. Right, like you, you guys are playing with this range of intimacy, and in this one, like the the game is, can you sit in here in this tiny hot little box <laughs> and like not freak out? That's the game, and then the game's over, the and, game. and you move on. You know, and there's a different game each, each time. I felt like there was there was, a, there was a bit of a different game. That's cool to hear because that I feel like that was a very conscious and really fun part of the piece for us. Was the range of games and the range of audience participation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that that uh, you guys like want to take the chance to to kind of pop off here and and and, and speak to? Is there something something quintessential? To I have some, I have something I could say. I've talked a lot, but I have to say this: like, <laughs> there's this whole conceit of micro theater and Marlon Pine and the legend of what he was, and I I hope I speak for everybody, but didn't take long for me to completely believe that micro theater was a real thing and be- and speak just like I was a I, I was an acolyte of Marlon Pines. I mean everything about the conceit of the micro theater experience was felt true to me. Like it felt more honest, it felt more real, it felt more sort of potent and uh, so I, I tended to believe the the legend and the kind of mystique of of Marlon Pine. As a as a as JB Waterman as a person, by the end of the piece. Yeah. Well, for me, micro theater. Uh, yeah. I mean, everything. I feel like I write in this space is both totally a made up thing. I just decided is real, and also is obviously totally real. So why not it be both things? I mean, I was saying I like it being sort of confusing where you're located on a spectrum. But in terms of micro theater, it is founded on a really real feeling to me of I wanted every audience member to feel special. Because I saw Sleep No More and I did not feel special. And I paid so much money for that. <laughs> <laughs> so we came out of that and I was like, everyone will feel special and it will be free. <laughs> Theater, viva la revolucion! Like, I was just like, no. So I, that is why micro theater, I think, at the core, maybe was something that there was a real response to, is because who doesn't want to go to theater and feel truly special? I mean, that's such a cool gift. Um, I felt that in rehearsals when you did it for me, and I and I watched audience members leave the van, and more than one said, "God, that felt like they just gave me a present. I can't believe they all just did that just for me." And it's like that's so cool. Not yeah, that felt uh, alive again in a way I don't feel in traditional theater. That, oh, go ahead. oh, something I thought at the very end of the piece when I was like, sitting 
alone on my street, like taking everything down, like putting it away, was how all of those experiences really imbued that physical space with that, that sense of, like the feeling you get when you're in a theater and it's late at night and you're either like putting up a show or taking it down, like that specialness of mm. theater, like that's how this van felt. And that was kind of surprising and, and really wonderful. Like we sat a couple nights and, and like had beers in the van and it was like, to me that was almost as profound as all the creative work we did together was like the, because it was reveling in the connections that that it housed. Yeah, I love when theater pieces and art being made in a space leaves the ghosts of the art in mm -hmm. the space. That's the coolest feeling. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Hashtag van life. Hashtag van life. Blessed. So blessed. Death is a vehicle. <laughs> 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 hashtag death is a vehicle. That, that was my favorite hashtag that I hashtagged on all of the pictures that I post related to him. Death is a vehicle? Oh, I like that. That's great. Yeah, guys, I was really proud of it. <laughs> I'm impressed. Marketing. Well, I want to thank you all. This was double special. Uh, and if you guys get around to getting a chance to do it again, I hope more and more people get to see it. I will, of course, recuse myself from watching it because uh, I'm spoiled <laughs> at this rate. But um, gosh, I'll just, you know, I'll just take the opportunity to like, thank each of you for making this thing, which was definitely one of the highlights of my summer. I've had a relatively good summer, so if it was a bad one, it would be the highlight. Uh, and, and, for, and for bringing something to, to LA that it hadn't seen before. And I think that that's kind of like a, a, a true feat a notch in your belt that you can have forever because like this town seen half of everything and then more than it ever should have on the other half. So I don't even know what the, I just meant there. I just make up it words. It was deep. Like a, no, it's yeah, not like a Marlon yeah, Pine so thing. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe I'm channeling it or something. No, 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 he's um, here. He's here. No, but like really like thank you guys because this was, this was fun. It was a lot of thank fun. Thank you. Thank you. That's so good to hear. Right. I appreciate it. And see. All right, the intro was really long, so the outro is going to be really short. And I also have to apologize to Mark Marin because uh, I now know how one of those intros can go way too long, way too easily. Uh, here's how you find us at No Persinium on Twitter, on Facebook. Just search for No Persinium. You can find us that way if that's your preferred social media. Uh, one billion people say it is. Uh. Anyway, uh, you can find us on Medium, medium.com slash no-persinium. That's where you put the reviews. Uh, Patreon, if you are supporting this podcast because you're a saint, it's patreon.com slash no-persinium. Email us. Email us your show announcements. Email us your uh, hot tips. Email us uh, locations of speakeasy bars uh, or your recipes for popsicles. Anything. Email us at no underscore persinium at outlook.com uh i'm noah nelson that was the show uh we have another one lined up for next week that should be a lot of fun and for the week after that so we're back in the groove everybody and hopefully like i said zay will have one from new york that's it i'm shutting up now oh right uh gotta give the tagline though uh until next time i'll see you at the show
the uh all right that was the episode the intro was incredibly long so i'm going to make this mercifully short you can find us no proscenium at no proscenium on twitter you can find us on facebook search for no proscenium you can find us on medium medium.com slash no dash proscenium uh you can find us on Patreon to support this podcast, which you are a saint for doing, uh, patreon.com slash no proscenium. You can reach us via email, and that is the best way to get us your show announcements and everything else. No underscore proscenium at outlook.com. I'm going to start over. Ooh. Oh, thank God you came in now and not five minutes ago when I was like seven minutes into the recording. So... Uh, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. No, no, it's perfect. No, 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 because I just this this is like the slam out ending. Two, so I just three, I wound up actually doing like three, a, I feel like a twelve We're minute running. introduction. Uh, I feel a little bit hot. So there's a lot of news, and then I had to explain the fact that uh, last that episode right was like totally that in natural. So. That sounds natural um, and good. Because okay. some people didn't know. <clears throat> All right, here we go. On three, uh, two, go, you know, go ahead and put just one. Hey, gang. Hey gang, welcome to episode 17 of the No Persinium Pod. Hey gang. Hey gang, welcome to episode 17 of the No Persinium Podcast, your podcast about immersive and interactive entertainment. Hey gang. Hey gang, hey gang, welcome to episode 17 of the No Persinium podcast, your podcast about immersive and interactive theater and its ilk. I am your host, Noah Nelson, and the founder of the No Persinium newsletter. This episode right here is going to make sense of the last episode, which was episode 16, The Moving Shadow. Um... We'll, we'll we'll break all that down in a second here, but first, uh, just just a bit of news. Um, got you guys on the hook, and I'm not gonna let go quite yet. Um, a bit of the news from uh, the past week. Just a, just a few announcements. Actually, more than a few announcements. There's been a lot of stuff going on, and uh, I want to bring you up to speed. So we'll start in New York, where Zay Amsbury is holding down the No Persinium NYC newsletter. And I'm trying to get Zay to do another podcast soon, and uh, it's when he does, I think it's going to be a doozy. Uh, I guess I'm calling things doozies, and so you know. Um, main thing out of there right now that I'm that I find interesting is uh, the Woodshed Collective is doing Empire Travel Agency right now, and there's a little bit of good news, bad news, which is uh, a theme. The good news is that they're doing the show. Uh, and the good news, bad news is that it sold out, but the good news is you can keep an eye on the Woodshed Collective's Facebook and probably their Twitter feed as well, uh, because as they're able to add some slots, uh, they will do so. Uh, Woodshed Collective has been working in this space for a very long time. They're pioneers in uh, the immersive and the open frame uh, theater space. And frankly, I'm uh, jealous because uh, the show they're doing is free, kind of like Hamiltonmobile. Uh, there's a lot of locative stuff, and it's uh, and it's not costing people anything, at least at the present moment. Staying on the East Coast for a second, 
we got word from Baltimore that the mesmeric revelations of Edgar Allan Poe, which had a sold-out run in the spring, is coming back for a planned longer run in October, and that's a helicopter, and I don't feel like having a helicopter in my lovely podcast, so we're going to start over again. Totally and completely over again. That's wonderful. That's really great. Three, two, one. Hey gang, welcome to episode 17 of the Note. Fuck. Hey gang, welcome to episode 17 of the No Persinium podcast, your podcast about immersive and entertain. Ah!